knowing how you desire for us to run the race that we have set before us with endurance, to run it with joy. So, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive to the things that you want to show to us. and May our ears be open spiritually, our eyes open, and our hearts soft to be teachable. So we give you this time as we look at these powerful two verses in your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Middle schoolers, they are dismissed as they will go up to the youth room. This Sunday is the Sunday where the kids have moved up to the next level, so a whole new group of middle schoolers. It's good to see them. All right, we're going to continue in our study in the book of Hebrews, so if you'll turn in the back of your Bible, we've covered the first 11 chapters, uh, going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, so we're going to enter into chapter 12. We're going to start at verse 1. We're going to cover two verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And uh, we'll get you a Bible so you can read with us. But Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let's go ahead as you're finding your place there. I'm going to read it to you. And then we're going to look at it very carefully this morning. That therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And as we read the New Testament, a lot of you know that our Christian lives are likened to a race in, in, um, in our lives that is running a race. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthian church, he would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, that he would say, don't you know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? So run in such a way that you may obtain it. And then the apostle, when he was meeting with the, the elders of Ephesus for the last time in Acts chapter 20, he's talking about his ministry and how he endured persecution and trials and many tears. And he would go on to say, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then as many of you know that at the end of his life, when he's about ready to be executed by Caesar Nero, that he's writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the last words of Paul the Apostle, and he says, Timothy, my departure is at hand, but I have, as he goes on to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished my race, and I have kept the faith. And so as we've been going through this wonderful epistle of Hebrews, you recall that the writer here, inspired by the Spirit of God, has been addressing the initial readers who were, of course, Christians that had come out of Judaism. And they were experiencing difficulties and hardships and trials. And uh, they were tempted to put themselves back under the old covenant, under the law, under the animal sacrifices, uh, under the temple worship. That was all part of their lives. That was all part of their history. And as they converted to Christianity, coming to believe that Jesus was their Mashiach that came and died for their sins and rose again, that they would be uh, experiencing difficulties. There would be separation from their family. They would uh, go through persecution by the hands of their brethren. And also we saw in, in chapter 10 the severity of the persecution that they were going through, that they were even coming and taking their goods, their possessions away. 
And the writer is saying, you have need of endurance. And the just shall live by faith. And as we moved into chapter 11, we looked at the examples of faith, that chapter, of course, called the Hall of Faith, uh, those of the Old Testament, those individuals who went through difficult times through difficult times. They went through persecution, hardship. Verse 13 of the chapter, though, says, all these died in faith. And it was to be an encouragement for those in the first century and for us in this century that you keep running your race. It will be hard at times, but know this, that there's a heavenly inheritance that awaits you, and there's eternal rewards that will be given to you. So chapter 12, he tells us to endure in faith, just as uh, perhaps maybe that you run a 5K race. Many of you have done that. Maybe you've run the Boulder Boulder or the Turkey Trot or the 4th of July race or maybe a half a marathon. I know some people here in the fellowship have done that. Uh, you've run different races that are available. There's so many of them that are available today. But as you do that, as you say, okay, I'm going to run, for example, next month the 4th of July race here at the Greeley Stampede, you got to get ready for that. And maybe perhaps a couple months, three, four months, six months before the race. I'm going to kind of train for that so I do well. You have a personal goal. And you have to be disciplined. Um, you have to be disciplined in running. You have to be disciplined in, in doing that constantly. You can't just say, well, I think I'll just kind of run maybe once every couple weeks for a few months and I'll be good enough. You're not going to be able to run that race with endurance. But we need to do certain things in getting ready for it. And it's true spiritually in our lives. You see, this life, it's a race that we run. And as we go through this chapter, remember this, that we're being told right away that every single run of us, one of us, that we have a race to run, a race that is set before us. And there are certain things that we are to do, a certain way that we live our lives to help us endure the race that is before us. So as we look at these two verses carefully again, let's read verse 1 as we read once again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So you know that that word, therefore, I'm sure that you've heard many times from me or other Bible teachers when you read that word, therefore, stop and see what it's there for. So that word, therefore, starting out the chapter is connecting this verse and what is going to be declared in this chapter with what we just saw in chapter 11 and what we read and studied. All these that, that were listed in the chapter, in chapter 11, who endured? who ran their race, know that you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. You have these great examples of faith, and it should encourage you, it should encourage me in the race that has been set before us. Now, when we read these verses, when we read that, wow, we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we can have the mindset, we can kind of envision that there are those not only of the Old Testament, that were mentioned in chapter 11 and others. And now 2,000 years since this epistle's been written, so those Christians that have gone on before us and those that we know, uh, those that we love, that we know are with the Lord, we can kind of tend to think that they're up in the grandstands of heaven and they're looking down and they're cheering us on. It's kind of like in a real race when you run a 5K or, or whatever. There are those that will be on the corner 
and they'll be clapping as you run by, and they'll say, you're doing good, and keep going, you're almost there, don't quit, and, and they're there to encourage you, to cheer you on. And we kind of read this verse in verse 1, and we think that maybe that's the way it is. Maybe there are those up in heaven, they're watching us, and they're cheering us on, and, and yes, and go. Don't get discouraged. But I think that more accurately, what is being referred to here is not that those in heaven watching us run a race, but rather they are witnesses to us of faith and endurance. I can think about those in chapter 11, how they endured. And again, it encourages me. Those who live godly lives, it wouldn't be easy. They would go through difficulties. Their faith would be tested. And they've gone home to be with the Lord. And it's an example to me that I am to run my race. And I believe in what is being told to us and emphasized as look at the great number of people in the Old Testament. We can think about in the church now, since we have 2,000 years since this has been written, you're familiar with their stories. You know their history. You know all about them. You know about how Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, endured that 120 years of, of building an ark and, and judgment would come. You know the patience and, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, how Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and, and you know the story of Moses and Joshua and David and all those that went through, uh, you know, certain things, and they ran with endurance, and so can you. And there are certain things that you and I are to do as we run our race, as we have that race that is set before us to help us run with endurance, let's look at it, that again in verse 1 it's emphasized to us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We know that, uh, again, you run a race, you don't want to be weighed down. If you're going to run the 4th of July race next month, when it starts early, but it starts to get hot, you're not going to have a pack on your back. You're not going to have real heavy shoes or anything like that because it's going to end up hindering you in running that race. And not just weight, but I have to be free to run. Uh, if you run that race, if I run it, I'm not going to run with a rope tied around my legs or even around my arms because I want to be free to run. And that's going to help me to run with endurance and, and to be unhindered. So not only weighed down, that weight in the Greek, angas is what it is, means a burden, a burden that weighs on you. And, and it can be anything that distracts us from Christ and us knowing him more and loving him more and serving him. That hinders us from running effectively. And it may not be necessarily bad. It may be things that are okay, but they end up becoming a priority in our lives and they take us away from our spiritual life. We get distracted and weighed down with the stuff of life, the cares of life, the hobbies of life. And I think that there's more things today than ever before that we can give our time to and efforts in that really don't have much to do with the kingdom whatsoever. That maybe ends up being a priority for us. That we give endless time to. Perhaps distracts us and keeps us from doing and serving in, in what God wants us to do. And you may be thinking, okay, pastor, what are those things? I don't know. What are they? What are they for you? 
And I think that it's worth, after the service, or even as, as the word is going forth today, to say, Lord, show me, are there things in the honesty of your heart? Is there anything going on in my life? Is there anything in my life that I put so much time and effort and priority to that it really has become a weight now that perhaps keeps me from doing things that I know that you would have me to do in living for you, Lord, and drawing close to you and knowing you? That's the most important thing is to know him, to live for him. To run your race with endurance means that you're going to be one, that you don't want to have that weight. You don't want to be weighed down. You don't want to have uh, those hindrances in your life. And all of us, I believe, need to lay aside certain things that will end up weighing us down, that end up taking us actually away from just being what God wants us to be and to enjoy life the way it was meant to be enjoyed, and that is living for the Lord. See, if I'm going to run the 4th of July race again if i had a pack on my back i would take it off and i would lay it aside and perhaps the lord might speak to you to me even and he has done that i know in my life about certain things that this is really weighing you down this is really hindering you and what i want to do in your life and knowing me and drawing close to me and here's the thing to to keep in mind that that you have a race to run and i have a race to run so don't picture it as, as maybe I'm out in front saying, come on, you need to keep up. You need to do this. You need to do all these things. You need to be like me. Because it isn't that way at all. You see, you have a race to run. You have a race that is set before you. So don't try to run somebody else's race. Because that in and of itself will weigh you down and end up hindering you. If I run next month in the 4th of July race, I haven't determined whether I'm going to or not. But if I do, I'm not going to run with the elite runners. I'm going to run with probably the little kids or something like that is what I'm going to do. So what is it that can weigh us down, that can end up hindering us? So much time watching the tubes, the TV, the videos on the computer, endless hours on social media and all of this? What is it, the hobbies? Is it just, uh, just anything that really you spend a lot of time in and effort in that is really taking you away from knowing him and drawing close to him? Even ministry can do that. That's one thing that I've learned in 26 years of ministry, that even ministry can end up being something that's a burden and weighs you down, and, and you're so busy with everything. Even like this week, I had to be careful. I had a memorial service for my father-in-law Saturday, then the big service last week, and VBS Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Radio Tuesday, Wednesday night service, ladies over at the house Saturday, and it gets so busy, and I know that I have to be careful because the Lord will speak to me and he'll say Jeff I'm not so interested in your busyness as I am about you personally then I want you to stop and I want you to spend time with me and I don't want all these things to hinder you those are good things but I think you know and understand what it is that I'm saying that hinders us from reading our Bibles and serving being sensitive to hearing the voice of the Lord just drawing close to him and then the second thing that will hinder our race that is set before us, you can highlight it or underline it in your Bible, is sin. Sin which so easily ensnares us. We know that Jesus has saved us from sin. 
He has saved us from the penalty of sin. The greatest need that any man or any woman has is to be forgiven of sin. And Jesus went to the cross and took your sins upon himself and made atonement for your sins. And then he cried out, it is finished. We've talked a lot about that in Hebrews here, that he died for our sins once and for all to take away sin. So now we are forgiven, uh, we're free from the penalty of sin, but also as we live for the Lord, as we're born again by the Spirit of God, that the Holy Spirit lives in us to empower us to live a life after him. We don't have to be entangled and empowered in our fleshly desires. We can be free from all of that because it is the Lord that gives us the power to live for him, to be free from sin. That word ensnares here that we just read means literally to be entangled, to be all tangled up. We don't want to be tangled up in sin, and that's what it will do. We are to run the course that is a course of holiness. Sin just will weigh you down and bound you up and get you all tangled up, and that's what happened to Samson. You know his story of Judges chapter 16. He ended up playing around with sin, playing around with sin, playing around with sin, and finally his eyes were plucked out. He was all bound up and entangled, and, and that's what happens with anyone who pursues sin, who lives after the world. That's what sin does. So lay it all aside. Because there is a race that we have, and it is not a sprint. It is a lifetime, more of a marathon. So again, as you run a race, literally run a race, you got to stay focused on running your race. You need to keep your eyes moving forward. You don't stop and say, oh, I think I'll look at the trees or smell the flowers or go see that cool car that is over there on the side of the road. No, what we are to do as we move on into verse 2 that will help us run our race with endurance is this. Keep focus and then look into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the key for us, you and me, to run a race with endurance is lay aside every weight, Second of all, sin. But don't forget, a real key is number three. Again, underline it, highlight it in your Bible, looking unto Jesus because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. I like what the New American Standard Version says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That is such a key in running our race with endurance that is before us. You see, when... I was young, and I was growing in Bible study and, and, and learning the scriptures, and I would hear messages. I would hear teachings on endurance, on holiness, on living for God, and I wanted to do that. Laying aside sin in your life, which is true, how we're to pursue holiness, how we're to walk in obedience, and I say, yes, we are to do that. I say, amen. Do away with those things in life that will hinder you in running your race. Yes, I agree with that. But then I didn't hear anything about Jesus. He plays a big part in that, doesn't he? Of course he does. So don't forget that you are to keep your eyes on focused on, fixed on, your heart on Jesus, even as Paul would write to the church at Colossae, set your eyes on the things above, not on the things of this world. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. That word author means pioneer or originate. He is the finisher of our faith, 
And that is good news for me. That is why Paul very carefully, that in Romans and Galatians, that he makes the point that if you just focus on the law, you see, here's the deal. The law is good. What I mean by that is the law is God's standard. There's nothing wrong with the law in and of itself. And I want you to know, Calvary Chapel, that I will never speak against pursuing holiness or that we are to live in righteousness. I will never stop warning against sin or that God has called us to purity. He desires for us to live in a way that is pleasing to him, for us to serve him, that we're called to endure the race that is before us because that's what the word of God declares. But here's the problem. The problem is, is that we are sinful human beings. And if all we do is emphasize what you are to do, then what ends up happening is that I end up realizing I can't do those things. And that happened in my life. I can't do this in and of myself. And what ends up happening is you end up being in bondage to works and legalism and, and trying to do it out of your own flesh and your own efforts, and you will be one. And instead of having the joy of God, you'll end up having all this guilt and no peace of God within you. And you will be so aware of how short you do come to you know, God's standard. And that's why we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to depend on the Spirit of God working in our lives. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and live in His love. The purpose of the law is to drive us to Jesus Christ, is what Paul said in the book of Galatians. The law just declares us guilty, doesn't it? It doesn't make us righteous. It declares that we're guilty and we can't keep the law. So I believe that a real uh, mark of spiritual maturity is realizing how incredible God's grace is, his love for us, how he died for us, and, and what he's provided for us. And, and as I do, it's like, wow, Lord, and I can depend on you, and you're going to give me the power to live a life after you. So I thank you for that. Just live in his love and enjoy him. You see, if you run the race next month of 4th of July, you're going to have to pay a fee to run. And Jesus is the author of our faith in Hebrews. It's called the author of eternal salvation. He has paid the fee with his blood so that you and I can even be in the race that he has set before us. He has brought eternal life, forgiveness of sin. He's brought access to the Father. He is the finisher of our faith. Finisher in the Greek takes on the meaning of completing the work. And that gives me great comfort. And I remember when I was just struggling and striving. And Lord, I'm trying to be the Christian you want me to be. And, and, and yet, I, I remember just being frustrated. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, as I was realizing how short I do come of living for the Lord in a way that he wants me to, that I read this, that being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. I thought, thank you, Lord. That I don't have to just keep striving in my own efforts and my own energies that you promise, being confident, it takes on the meaning, be so aware of this, so sure of this, that he, Jesus, who has begun a good work in you, he's going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. 
that the Lord is going to complete that work in you and me. So I can rest in that. It's like, thank you, Lord, that I can just keep my eyes on you and focus on you and walk in the Spirit. And I know it's as hard as I try and want to be the man of God that he's called me to be or the husband, the father, the pastor that he wants me to be. He is working that in my life. And he's going to finish that work. I'm going to keep my eyes on him, look to him, even as we sang this morning, surrender to him, depend on him. When I was a young Christian, I used to get irritated when I was just struggling and I'm not good enough and I'm just a spiritual waste and, you know, I'm not where I could be, I'm not what I should be and all of this. And and somebody would say, well, just, you know, look to Jesus. And I, I think, look to Jesus. But I didn't understand that they were right And that's what we're being told here. Look to Jesus. It's true. Surrender to him. He is the one that's going to see us through. And I know that it is the Lord that works in me both to will and to do of his good pleasures. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13. Keep your eyes on him. Keep focused on him. And as even as we're going to be told... Behold him in this chapter as we will see next week. It means to consider him, study him, look at him carefully. Don't look to yourself because you will not have a successful Christian walk or race unless you fix your eyes on him and what he has done for us, our Lord. Even as Paul would say, you can sum up the law in one word that is love. Live in his love. Trust in him. Look to him. Depend on him. Know that he's the great high priest, the first 10 chapters, just declaring to us what he has done for us and and who he is. And you just marvel at that. And we sang this morning that I want to know you, Lord. That should be the priority of all of our hearts, Lord, that I just want to know you more. So as we continue here in verse 2, for who for the joy that was set before him and during the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So all these examples of chapter 11, all those who endured in faith ran their their race. Now the ultimate example who endured, that is Jesus. Knowing that his race would include going to the cross. Jesus would pray in the garden that, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus' prayer in the garden showed us something that is very important for all of us to understand. That Jesus, our perfect, ultimate example of faith and endurance, he shows us the way that we should go. We, we know the incredible faith that Jesus had. When he prayed to the Father, he knew that the Father would hear him. So he prays to the Father and he cries out, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus comes forth. He prayed to the Father, and he he broke the bread and a few fish and loaves that he fed 5,000. We know that he prayed to the Father, and he opened the eyes of the blind. He healed those of every kind of sickness and disease, And, and we marvel at that. But as we read the Gospels carefully and the example of faith in Jesus' life, we need to understand that the key to faith is not my will, but your will be done. Father... Not my will, but your will be done. And to walk in that obedience. And he would say to his disciples in that garden after he prayed that prayer, that shall I not drink of the cup that the Father has given me to drink of, the cup of suffering and death. 
And the reason that I mention that is because in a lot of Christianity today and in certain circles of the church, it's oftentimes faith is taught, what can I get? What can I name and claim? And if you just have enough faith, rather than faith is this, that I'm trusting in you, Lord, and I'm trusting in your word given to me, and I'm going to yield to your will because you know what's best for me. And being sensitive to hear with my ears spiritually, to see with my eyes, to be led in my heart as I sense the voice of God, as I read the word of God. Because faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know that Jesus would humble himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, and became obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross, for the joy that was set before him, for the joy that was set before him. So what was that joy? Number one. I think that verse two answers what I believe was the joy sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's number one. In other words, Philippians chapter two, Jesus became obedient even to the death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So that the joy that was set before him, we know, is that he knew that he would be exalted at the right hand of the Father, even as the book of Hebrew declares that he rose from the grave. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. And we also know that Jesus, right before his death, when he was praying to the Father, he said, Father, my hour has come and glorify me together with yourself with the glory in which I had with you before the world was. So he knew when he accomplished what he was sent to come for, that he would die for the sins of the world, he would rise again, that he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. So that's number one. But also for our consideration, the joy that was set before him was you. For the joy that was set before him was you. Knowing that as we come to him in faith, as we ask for forgiveness of sin and surrender our lives to him, that we're going to be with him for all eternity. We're going to be with the Father. And he's the one that loved us so much, even as Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that's why Jesus went to the cross, for the joy that was set before him, because of his love for you, knowing that as we come in faith and are forgiven, that we are going to be with him and the Father for all eternity. And I love what Jude, that little epistle, right before the book of Revelation, declares to us in verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And you see, I love that verse because it is he that will keep you from stumbling. I think, Lord, I'm going to fall flat on my face. I fall so short. Again, that, that I, I don't belong to you. You must not love me. No, it is he who will keep you from stumbling. And know this, that he's going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. In other words, that when we leave this life, that we're going to see Jesus, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when we see him with those eyes of love, I want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. 
And I just imagine that what he's going to do is he's going to present me. He's going to present you. He's going to take us into the throne room of God himself. And he's going to introduce you, if you would, not that you need introduction, to the Father. And Jude tells us that the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over you. Over you. That's our future. Isn't that incredible? And I think, wow, Lord, I, I want to live for that day. And I want to live for you now. And I know that one day, the Father and the Son are going to rejoice over me. That's how incredible His grace, the work of grace, and His love for me. And I'm going to be presented before the Father faultless. I think I look in the mirror and it's like I got such a long ways to go but because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because I'm covered in his righteousness. And this is real. And you think about it as Christians, he did the work on Calvary's cross. He's brought forgiveness to us. We come in faith, and he enables us to run the race, and he empowers us, and then he's going to take us home to be with him, and then he's going to reward us, eternal rewards given to us, and we get to be in his presence forever. We have an eternal inheritance that's given to us. We got a good deal, didn't we? So why would you want to prioritize the world? The world that's going to go away. So the joy that was set before him, number one, knowing that he was going to be sitting at the right hand of the Father. Number two, you. And then thirdly, this is important. I think that the joy that was set before him is going back to his prayer, not my will, but your will be done. You see, it gave Jesus great joy. He was full of joy because he was obedient to the will of the Father, which would include the cross. So what does it mean for you and for me? Listen, this is important, especially I want young people to really hear this because we begin to learn this as we get older. It's, it's a, a word for all of us, but it should give us joy to be obedient and do the will of the Father. Jesus would say in John chapter 15, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things that I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. You see, great is the day when we finally realize and make it our own that it's not the cares of the world, it's not the, the, the cares of life, the passing pleasures of the world, being involved in sin that's going to bring you satisfaction and happiness and fulfillment. You see, that's what the enemy wants you to believe. That, you know what, live for the world. Be free. Do what you want to do. You're going to enjoy it. You know, just do whatever it is that you want to do. Live any way that you want to live. No, that's all deception. It is knowing God and Him and then abiding in His love. And as you abide in His love, you will be full of joy. That's what Jesus promised. Even as David understood that 3,000 years ago when he wrote in the Psalms that in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, I don't think that there's anyone here in this room or gone through, through the three services that would say, I don't want to have joy. I just want to be miserable in life. We want joy. So how is it that we have joy? There's all kinds of books written on it. There's all kinds of series done on it. That you have joy in your presence is fullness of joy. As you abide in this love, my joy may remain in you, and your joy is going to be full. And to know this, that 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 tells us, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Listen, 
understand that every commandment that God gives to you is an expression of his love for you. He does not give you his commandments to be burdensome. He doesn't give you his commandments to give you a bummer life. Or he's trying to be a killjoy. Sometimes, particularly young people think, God, if I live for the Lord, then I'm not going to enjoy life the way that I want to. I'm not going to be able to do that I want to do. Uh, I'm just going to have a boring life. And, and all of this, that is a deception from the enemy. Because if you live after the world, it's going to do you in and wipe you out and defeat you and depress you. And it is God, out of his love for you, says, here's how I want you to live. Because I love you. And I want you to be full of joy. And I want you to experience that abundant life that I have for you. And I don't want you to get hurt and deceived and be discouraged and defeated. I want you to have a life with real purpose. And I will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. And I will make your life count for me. And that you're going to experience life the way it was meant to be experienced. And you'll be free. You live for the world, you'll be in bondage. God's commandments are not given to harm us or to bring us into bondage, or to bummer our life, or to depress us? Do we understand what is being told to us? And when we minister to others, we give them the word of God to our children, to our youth, to others that we care about at work. Hey, this is how God wants you to live. This is what you're to do. And to understand that as we give them the word, it's an expression of his love that, that what it is that you're doing as you give them the command. He loves you. He doesn't want you to be hurt. And listen, if anyone tries to get you to do something contrary to his command, they are not showing you godly love. They are not loving you. I don't care if they say, oh, I love you, boyfriend, girlfriend. I want to have relations with you. Why don't we get involved in sexual immorality? That happens so much with our young people. I'll just live any way I want. We love each other, so we're committing sin. That's not God's love that you're expressing to each other. You're demonstrating. Oh, I, I met somebody at work, and, you know, God, I've had people sit in my office and actually tell me this, that, you know, just there's a love that's building, and we kind of love each other, so I'm going to leave my spouse. Not love. Why don't you lie for me? Hey, come out and party with us. Man, we care about you, brother. Come out and let's go drinking. Let's go partying. Let's take some drugs. That's not God's love. It is sin. And it is sin that's going to harm you and bring you into bondage and into depression and rob you of joy and all that God has for you. So it is the Lord that says, listen, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. It is sin that is burdensome. So Jesus, our perfect and ultimate example of one enduring, endured the cross for the joy that was set before him, the joy knowing that he's going to be at the right hand of the Father where he is and will be for eternity that we will have a place in heaven with him, and then also providing an opportunity to tell people 
that God died, sent his son to die for you and to know that he not only wants to save you, but he has so much for you. Christian, listen, it's a joy to run this race. So when I want to leave you with this, run. Run, Christian. Lay aside every weight. Don't be entangled in sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And he's going to be at the finish line to receive you, to present you before the Father with exceeding joy. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for these two powerful verses here. And, Lord, how we can get so caught up in stuff that, that Lord, really weighs us down in knowing you and walking with you, pursuing you, pleasing you with our lives. And, Father, what I pray is that we would go to you with the honesty of our hearts and say, Lord, is there anything really, honestly, that's take you away that's a priority of my life to run my race unhindered, not weighed down, not involved in sin, but to run freely. Lord, I pray that you would show that to us. That, Lord, we thank you that you bring conviction to us, not to hurt us or condemn us, but to draw us to you. Because you're a loving Father who loves us so much. Even as this chapter is going to tell us that you discipline us because you love us. Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's listening, perhaps on live stream, on the radio later, that maybe is here this morning at this service, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. That Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him, and that was you. He knew all about you when he walked down the Via Della Rosa to that place of execution to die for you because he loves you. And he wants you to spend eternity with him. And there's one way to surrender your life, come in faith to Jesus and realize you're a sinner that needs to be forgiven. We've all sinned. That he paid the price for you. He rose from the grave. He's alive. The tomb is empty. He conquered sin and death. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And now you come in faith and you do surrender to him. You say, I come and ask for forgiveness and ask him to be the Lord of your life the Savior of your life. Will you do that? Today is the day of salvation. This world is not your hope in living for yourself. 